welcome to Every Tiny Thing, the podcast to help you survive the newborn intensive care unit. Hi, welcome to Every Tiny Thing podcast. I'm Trish and I'm going to be your host here for the next hour or so. Today, I'm super excited to be able to share with you a conversation with Kayla Amy, who is the author of Anchored, which is a new book um, about prematurity uh, that I was thrilled to read and uh, even more thrilled to get a chance to have a conversation with Kayla about the book and about her experience. And um, and I get to share that with you today. Um, I'll play that in a moment. Kayla and I spoke over Skype, and, and I'll share that with you in just a little bit. But first, for those of you who aren't familiar with the book, let me just tell you a little bit about it. Um, again, the title is Anchored, Finding Hope in the Unexpected. And yeah, it's a, it's a story of prematurity. Kayla had a daughter born uh, 15 weeks prematurely. Her name is Scarlett, and uh, she weighed just over a pound when she was born. And she spent the first six months of her life Uh, in the newborn intensive care unit. Um, So it's a story of their journey through those daunting, scary, overwhelming uh, months. And it's also a story about Kayla and how she survived it and how she got through that difficult time. Uh, It's about her friends and family, how they supported her, um, how they all got through it together. It's a story of her faith and how it was tested um, in you know, in the face of such a overwhelming crisis, um, she is able to articulate, you know, the struggles she had with her faith and, and how she sort of worked through those. So it's a really engaging story. And, you know, she does a beautiful job as a writer to weave together the heaviness of the subject, the reality of um, just how critically ill her little one was and how hard that was. And yet she weaves it together with with humor, with um, a lightness that uh, makes it something that's actually fun to read. And um, it, for me, it was a page turner. I just didn't want to put it down. I, I wanted to hear what happened next and how they handled it. Uh, so I hope that you will um, go out and grab your own copy of Anchored. You can find it at Amazon. You can find it at Barnes & Noble or even on the shelves at uh, Walmart. Um And uh, if you need more information after you listen to the interview, you uh, you can find the review that I wrote um, over at premies.about.com. You can read just a little bit more about what I liked about it in particular and uh, why I recommend it so highly. But uh, that's probably enough. I'll let Kayla do the rest of the talking. So uh, without further ado, um, I'll turn it over to the Skype conversation that she and I had. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah. I think that uh, when I thought about having an opportunity to talk with you, the first thing that came to mind um, is, as the reader of your story, is how is Scarlett today? So I'd love to hear how Scarlett doing today. She is great. She's um, almost five. Okay. Um, and she is incredibly feisty. <laughs> She's a big handful. Her nurses used to tell me like that she was real feisty in the NICU yeah. and um, that that would bode well for her later in life. And so, yeah, it has. She's very healthy. 
Um, she's got a few occupational therapies and physical therapies that we still do, but um, and a little bit of asthma. But overall, we've been really, really lucky with her health. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I remember in the book when I was reading it, um, and, and in a moment you should probably tell people a little bit more about the story, but one of the things I really appreciated, I noticed it, um, was kind of early in the story, you gave a little clue that Scarlett was okay. You know, because you were about to take us on this journey that could get pretty scary, did get pretty scary, and I appreciate it as a reader that you sort of let us know, like, you can, you can relax, it's, yeah. it's going to be okay. We're going to go on this journey, but it's going to be okay. Was that intentional when you wrote the story? Yeah, it was. I'm glad I'm glad to hear you say that because um, I didn't want the hook of the book to be that, you know, keep reading to find out if she's yeah. okay or not. Um, I didn't want that to be my, like, cliffhanger, um, partially just because it's real life. It's, it's, it's right. my daughter. It's my real story. So mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be, like, a plot device. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> And partially just because I know as a reader, I appreciate that too. Like it's mm. it's already hard to ask someone to trust you with this very intense, vulnerable story. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted it to be more like if I was friends with someone and talking to them about this story, they would know that. They would know, you know, right. like yes. our starting place is that Scarlet's okay. Uh -huh. So I wanted my reader to be comfortable. Good. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that and appreciated it. Um, so for anybody who hasn't yet read the story, why don't you just give us a little synopsis of, of the book. The book, again, is Anchored. Um, so tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so um, when my daughter was born, she was born 25 weeks into my pregnancy. Um, and I just was all of a sudden thrust into this new sort of foreign world of motherhood that I had no idea how to navigate. Um, we spent almost six months um, in the neonatal intensive care unit. And so you never anticipate that that's how motherhood is going to start for you. Uh, <laughs> you know? No, no. It was just, it was all so unexpected, and um, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about it. Um, and when I was going through it, I was looking a lot for something to read. I just wanted to kind of connect with a story similar to mine, um, and it was hard to find something like that. Yeah. So I set out to write something for other moms. Um, you know, maybe maybe not in the NICU, although I do hope NICU moms really and preemie moms really connect to the story. Mm -hmm. um, but just for anyone who kind of all of a sudden finds themselves like, oh, this is not what I was expecting, these <laughs> circumstances in my yeah. life. Mm -hmm. um, so it sort of takes us through that journey up till, up till um, current day. So I didn't want it to be all NICU stuff. That would be a very sad book. <laughs> and... Um, and sort of what that taught me, both in life and in parenting, and how to seek out joy and hope in sort of um, unexpected circumstances, and, and when things are hard, because you know life life can be hard. Yes, sometimes. yeah, this was especially hard, and that's what uh, you know. It's like people could probably take from your book lessons um, that they could apply in their own life, uh, but this is especially hard. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I hope it. I hope it's a book that brings hope to other people, because um, I, I think if I was going to have to go through such a dark situation, it's really beautiful to see something like that come out of it. Right, yeah. How did you become such a good writer? Oh, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I've always loved writing. Writing has always been my passion. Yeah. Um, it's always been something that I wanted to do, so I actually started um, blogging about, it's been 10 years now. Wow just to try to really hone my craft and, and get better at, um, at storytelling. But I'm just, I love storytelling. I love the way that um, telling a story well can connect people to one another. Mm. Um, what were you blogging about before you 
had Scarlett? Um, we had actually struggled with infertility, so I wrote a lot about that. Okay. Um, and then otherwise, just daily life, whatever was interesting me at the time. Yeah. It's, yeah, the college years, those are a little awkward to read now. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like my diary on the internet. Oh, wow. But, <laughs> yeah, so it just kind of evolved from there. Okay, so you weren't um, a professional writer or you, or you weren't being paid to do this before? No, I had just sort of um, maybe a year or two before Scarlett was born started dabbling in freelancing okay. and trying to have some things published. So I was very new, yeah. And at what point did you decide, at what point did you realize, like, I'm going to write about this? Well, the funny thing is I, I wrote about it as it was happening. Okay. I kind of chronicled it on my blog as we were going through it. Mm -hmm. um, Almost as sort of like a like a caring bridge type of, of thing. It was a lot easier for me at the time to update everyone just in one sort of blog post right. versus um, it was hard for me to talk to people. So I was getting bad news all the time, so right. I didn't want to keep calling people and repeating that over and over right. again. Uh -huh. It was just much easier to disseminate the information that way. Um, so I had just this archive of blog posts, and people would say, you should turn that into a book. Mm. You know, that would be helpful to people. And I was like, I don't ever want to write about prematurity again. <laughs> I want to be very far away from prematurity. Oh, I bet. Um, and then I just I started praying about it, and I felt like um, maybe I really should consider, you know, just turning it into maybe a free ebook or something, just mm -hmm. so that it could be helpful to other people. I would have liked to have read this when I was in the NICU. Mm -hmm. Um and around that same time, actually, a publisher contacted me after having found um, my blog and had been reading about Scarlet back through the archives mm -hmm. and asked, would you be interested in putting this into a, a book? Wow. And I was like, well, I guess that's a sign. I think I would be. <laughs> I guess I will. So, <laughs> that sort of um, helped make your decision for you then. It did. It did. It, was, um, it, it felt very clear cut to me that this was something I should do with her story. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I read often, uh, and I, I believe I was listening to an interview that you did with Sarah Bag Bagley, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you were talking about it then as well, but, and I've heard it a ton from uh, NICU parents, um, the sense that when you're in the middle of the crisis of having your baby in the NICU, you almost don't even want to talk to anybody about it. You, you can't even, like you're, and you're just describing, like you wanted to do this one blog post so you didn't have to tell people over and over and you didn't really want, you're just sort of in crisis mode, head down, just get through the day kind of thing. And, and when I hear that over and over, it keeps leaving me in this position that I think the rest of us on the outside um, are, would really want to know is how can those of us out on the outside reach in and help um, in a meaningful way um, when you're in such crisis mode? Yeah. You know, that really surprised me about myself because I'm typically just very um, extroverted mm -hmm. and outgoing and bubbly. And so the fact that I felt so much the need to isolate myself and pull in and away from everybody was not something that I expected mm, that, mm -hmm. of how I would react. Um, and the things I think that meant the most to me that my friends did were were just, they were able to kind of read that about me, uh -huh. you know, and um, I appreciated the people who kind of gave me a little bit of space and said to me, you know, I'm sorry this is happening to you, I'm sorry you're going through this. And a lot of people did small tangible things that 
were kind of from a distance. So um, some of my friends, they, they put a cooler out on my front porch, mm-hmm. and then they would just come during the week, and they would drop off freezer meals. Nice. Um, or someone left us parking passes for the hospital because we had to pay to park every day. It was really... Really expensive yeah. when you have a pricey baby. It's like insult to injury, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, little things like that. Um, you know, I loved getting cards in the mail from people. Mm. Um, it really meant a lot to me to just have a little bit of happiness in the middle of all the medical bills. Right. Um, and I thought it was a really kind way of my girlfriends who, some of them normally I would speak to on the phone or text every day. Mm-hmm. Um, they took they took and reached out to me that way. They knew I couldn't talk to me, so they, they sent me something in the mail, mm-hmm. but I was still seeing that. Um, I think it differs, I guess, for every person. Sure, yeah. But I think just seeing where a person's at and, and then deciding to take an action versus asking, like, what can I do? Right. You know? Because sometimes yeah. that's hard to, yeah. to tell people what they can do, or it's hard to ask for help. Yes. So... I was really impressed, and it meant a lot to me, my friends that just jumped in and did for me without asking, without making me, like, entertain, you know? Like, right. bringing the food over where I had to talk to people. They left it on the porch. Like, it was just so kind of them to see that. So not so the, the people who kind of offered and gave without expecting anything in return, that yeah. was a huge gift? It really was. You yeah. know, like, now... Um, we always, in like our mops group, we take meals to people who had new babies or people who are in the hospital or whatever. And now I'm so conscious. Like, I can just leave it on your porch. You know, because I'm like, they've probably, she's probably so tired. She doesn't want me to come in, you know. So um, it was, it made a big impression on me. Huh, nice. Yeah, I think that uh, it's the, it's this, not a big problem. The big problem is the family going through the, the stress of having a baby in the NICU. But the, the people surrounding that family um, are often struggling in their own way, and it's pales in comparison to what the family's going through. But nonetheless, they're kind of left like some don't know. If I leave the meal on the front porch, will they think I'm a jerk because I didn't say hi, or do they think I'm avoiding them? You know, so it's it's really hard both sides to know what to do yeah, and how it, it will be received and how to best support people. So I think it's I think that's a really interesting challenge that families go through. I think so too, and I think it's good to have a point person, you know, like for me, eventually, um, my best friend just sort of took that role, like I could tell her what I needed, and then she could tell other people, Mm. like, this is a good thing, this would be helpful, you know, and then Mm. all that pressure wasn't just coming on on me, because I was in the middle of making these massive life and death medical decisions every day, so all the little things were hard for me, so having someone else um, designated to do those sorts of things, Mm -hmm. I think was helpful in keeping things going. Nice, and do you think, did it feel like you were still being supported by friends and family at the level you needed throughout the whole time, because you guys were doing this for a long time in the NICU? Yeah, yeah, we were. Actually, yeah, I have to say, I feel like we were. I think... Um, I have a really incredible support system, and I think that that is rare, and I'm very lucky. Yeah. Um, I've seen, you know, just in doing this now, and a lot of the um, advocacy work I do and reaching out to NICU families, I've seen a lot of lonely NICU families. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm very lucky in that aspect. Tell me a little bit more about the the work you've been doing now with uh, NICU families. Yeah, so we have, um, we have a, like, some different support groups and sometimes I go and talk to support groups or sometimes sometimes I just go up um, you know several times a year we go up and take treats and put them in the parents room and just mm-hmm. sit and talk you know talk to whoever's there or leave them a little note um, or books for them to read to their babies yeah um, 
every year at Christmas time, we put together a big a big gift, um, like a book for them to read the babies, a gift card, um, a little blanket for the moms to you know wear on them to get their scent and then nice. leave with the baby. Mm-hmm. So we, we call ahead, we find out how many babies are there, and then we put together a gift for every single family in the NICU with a little um, baby hat. Wow. Um, and we take them up on Christmas morning because it's really hard to be in the NICU on a holiday. Yeah. So um, we just write them a little letter saying, we were here, we were here where you were, and here's some hope to let you know we're thinking about you. You're not alone on this day. Nice. So You can probably imagine how nice that would have been for yourself. Well, someone did it for me. Yeah. Um, we were there on Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, she was a stranger to me. And she came in and she brought us this little gift basket. And she just talked to me for a minute and said, we were here last year. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're home now. And I just want you to know that we're thinking of you and we're praying for you. And I just thought... If we make it out of here, I want to do this for other nice. people. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and where I work, uh, we see the same thing. We see families who come back, and not only to come back and thank the nurses, which is also lovely for me, it's, you know, that, yeah. that uh, they go out of their way to take the time to, to do that, but um, that they also do the same for other families. And it's really touching because it is. It's really lonely. And it's, I think, one of the... Um, phenomena that come up time and again when talking to families who've been through this is um, it is really lonely and it's hard because you say you were surrounded by a really great group of supporters and they were taking care of your meals and helping with gas cards and stuff but still how many of them could sit down and talk with you about what it's like to have a baby in the NICU? Right, right. And um, I think I feel very kindred with anyone who has been there before Uh Um, and so I think you just kind of are wanting that you're wanting to talk to someone who right. has been there, and um, so I feel grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that for other families. Yeah, because you know? I think it's hard for parents who are still in it that they can't just sit down with their friend and say, like, "How am I supposed to? How did you deal with this?" You know, right. like most new moms, you have a question with breastfeeding, you have a question about how to sleep at night. You call up your friend, you call up, you know, talk to your sister, and talk about what their experience was, and then you can't do that with this. Right. So, and being a new mom, especially if this is your very first time yeah. too, it's like you already have all these overwhelming emotions and hormones and right. it's just a lot of newness and then it's this whole different environment. So it's a very overwhelming thing. And, um, a, a lot of times we go up to visit our nurses, um, you know, and sometimes when we're there, if I take Scarlett with me, they'll pull us in and they'll take us to another family and see like this, she was 25 weeks. I just oh, want you nice. to see, uh-huh. you know, what that looks like to be hopeful to another family. And right. I remember that happening when we were in there. I remember they brought another family in to meet us. And yeah. um, that's just a really special moment, you know. Nice. Um, at one point in the book, you were kind of talking a little bit about um, dealing with feelings of failure, you know, that, that you were frustrated at your body, you know, having failed or feeling like a failure as a mother because you couldn't even carry her to term and then you couldn't care for her. And like, how did that evolve over the six months that you were there? And then how has that evolved to today? Yeah, um, I felt especially right away because you just have this huge rush of postpartum hormones. Uh-huh. And, um, and for me, that developed as I couldn't carry my baby safely. Um, and Scarlett was very, very critical, and so I wasn't allowed to hold her for the first month of her life. She mm-hmm. was a month old before I could even hold her. Wow. And um, 
fine. I could, I could barely touch her because she was very, very sensitive to touch. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just felt so removed. Like, what's my role? I'm right. supposed to be, you know, like what a mother looks like and what I've always pictured. I can't do any of that. I'm just right. sitting by this little plastic bed. Um, so for me, actually, that was really the doctors and the nurses coming alongside of me and encouraging me and, you know, really encouraging me to be as hands-on as I could be, even mm -hmm. in the very small things. Um, and I think the more they made me comfortable in that environment, the more I felt, um, I just felt like, okay, I matter here. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I do have a role here, even if it doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, and the stronger, I guess, that bond began to grow, the more I felt like I could advocate for her. Uh -huh. And um, becoming an advocate for her, I think, really was the big shift for me, just realizing my role is maybe not as her primary caregiver right now, mm -hmm. but it is as the person who cares the most about her. Right, yeah, I love that. You had, I, I put a little um, in my, my highly <laughs> noted up uh, book here, that was one of the things, page 78, where you said, um, this is what I walked away with, the confidence that even when I'm the least knowledgeable person in a room about my child's medical care, I am still her best advocate. It took 20-some years, but I found my confidence. It's like, I think that that can't even be emphasized enough because um, switching, shifting gears into that role as advocate does it empowers you in a way that you can start to see like oh you know these nurses have more uh, experience and more skill but they're not the same nurse every single day they're not going home and thinking about this baby every single day they don't have their heart there in that incubator and and i do and that matters and then you can start to then think about well then what do i do with that Yes, it, it shifted the balance for me from being really intimidated by all the medical professionals uh -huh. um, to feeling like I could work alongside of them for mm -hmm. the best for my daughter. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the big things when I talk to new NICU parents is just to instill in them, like to try to tell them, have confidence, just ask questions. Mm -hmm. You know, your nurses and your doctors, they want you to you know, feel that way. They want right. you to be involved. So don't be afraid to ask questions if you mm -hmm. don't understand. Don't be afraid to jump in. And um, it, and, I, and it made it better for me to just mentally, it was a much more positive environment when I came in feeling like I was on the same team mm -hmm. as everyone else taking care of Scarlett. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, at least in the story, it sounded as though that um, the, the spark kind of came in response to having a difficult nurse um, right. one one day. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, but do you, was there anything in particular that, that you think made the difference in shifting from feeling helpless to feeling like an advocate? I remember... Um, yeah, there was one doctor in particular who was very, um, just very big on trying to, I think, make me feel empowered. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times if I had a question or if I, I noticed something day to day, like you said, the nurses changed, but I was watching my baby every day. Right. So if I noticed a difference in her, I would be apologetic maybe about asking the question. Mm. And he was very strongly telling me, don't be sorry, you're her mother, you know her best, you ask mm. all your questions. Um, and so then he kind of started trying to show me how to read her x-rays and how to read her chart. I think he was really trying to make me, you know, connect in a way that um, made me a little more confident. Mm -hmm. And so, so that, that was very helpful to me. Yeah. So. 
Good. Yeah, I think that that does. That's the hard thing. Um, parents are really vulnerable. They're really kind of at the mercy. And uh, if you talk to enough, you know, uh, do you, when you go and help out, is it still always at the same NICU where Scarlett was? Um, yeah, I go to different ones. Depend- you? Okay. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I travel around. But yeah, I almost always go back to our NICU. Because for- it does seem, if you've been to other ones, then, then what you experience is that they're all a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, not only are is every nurse different, and that can be maddening for parents to have to deal with like one nurse does it this way and then another nurse does it that way and then this one does it that way that's hard enough but then to try to give um you know advice or support to families in different NICUs where one they have private rooms and one they're all sitting on top of each other in a really crowded space it's like every place is so different every experience is so different it's hard to kind of um peel away the layers and get to the core of like how can parents um be empowered and how can they make the best of this kind of regardless of what their situation is Yes, we spent time in two different NICUs, mm-hmm. um, you know, right. one for home and one for surgery. So yeah. we experienced having a semi-private room and being in the huge open bay at the, you know, city hospital. And um, it was it was just completely different experiences at both places, you know. Yeah. So um, it was almost like, this sounds weird to say, but it was almost like a double type of NICU trauma to, oh, yeah. to oh, move gosh. from one to the other, really? you know. Really, yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet, yeah, because you're having to learn, just go back to square one and start learning all over again. Yeah, new nurses and, yeah, it's wow. tough. So, um, so that one day with the really hard nurse. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, Luckily, it was just one day of our whole, of our whole, you know, almost six-month stay. I have to say, um, I was really, I, I'm, I'm always very impressed with NICU nurses. I, I feel like it's a very compassionate, dedicated profession, mm. and um, I, I didn't, I, sometimes I would have a nurse whose maybe personality wasn't a great match for me, but right. I still felt like they were a great caregiver for my mm. child, mm-hmm. um, so this was the only time out of almost six months where I felt like, nope, can't have this nurse taking care of my baby. And it sounds you like know? you didn't hesitate to, I mean, you, you really were pretty quick to say, I'm done, I'm going to go talk to the next level and, and take care of this. Right, um, and I had never done that before. Normally, um, I would at least be like, "Okay, I'm going to give it a chance. Maybe I'm not clicking, but they're a good nurse, you right. know." Uh-huh. Um, but this day, it was a very, it was a situation where we'd been there a very long time by that point. So I knew my daughter's signs very well. Uh-huh. I knew she was getting a lot worse. I knew that if um, any anyone, this nurse hadn't had my daughter before either. We'd never worked together, mm-hmm. but I knew that if any one of the nurses who had been observing my daughter came in and looked at her the way that I was seeing her, mm-hmm. they they would have made the call. Right. Um, and so it wasn't really even about the fact that I felt like she didn't make the call, you know, because I thought, she, she's new to my daughter. We're, we have a very unique situation happening. It's, right. it's not something that's just people should know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was the fact that I had repeatedly asked her and kept felt, I felt like she kept brushing me off, mm. um, that I really found my voice that day. And, and I knew that if, if something didn't happen, my daughter was going to get a lot sicker. Yeah. Um, and I guess that just was the line for me. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of became a little bit of a mama bear. Yeah, in mama that bear moment, came out. And... You know, um, and I tried, to, I'm, I'm very Southern, so like my meanness is not really that, <laughs> that would, you know, I just can't do it. Yeah. But um, I tried to be super firm, you know, and just say like, this can't stand, you know. Right. Uh, and I was right. My gut was right. And that is another thing it taught me. That day especially um, was a day that made me feel like 
my gut instinct as a mom mm -hmm. is almost always on target. Awesome. And it's just really important to trust that. Hard to do when, when the baby's been whisked away from you right from birth and you haven't really had a chance to even mother, you know, air quotes, mother her because you've been on this pushed sort of to the side and outside the plastic box and outside of all the medical jargon and stuff. So it, it makes sense that that's a challenge to feel um, that confidence in yourself as a mother under such circumstances. Yeah, because you know, you're this new mom and at first you're thinking, okay, I have this gut feeling. But I don't actually know anything. I didn't go to medical school, medical school right. so yeah. I'm probably wrong. You know, like who am I to speak up and say something? Right. Uh, but I found that just almost every time my instincts were right. You hmm. know, um, at one point we pulled her off this special um, high protein bovine formula mm -hmm. um, additive, the okay. additive for it. Human milk fortifier. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, and so. And I, um, everyone just kept insisting, that's not what's causing the problem. And I just had a feeling that it was. Yeah. Um, and so I insisted she'd be taken off of it. And I felt so ridiculous because I was like, I didn't even know what this was before we got here. And, but I know <laughs> right. it's the problem. Right. And then eventually we found out Scarlett is allergic to cow's milk. So we were like, yes. It was I, the problem. I knew you know? it. I didn't have anything to base that on sure. other than just mom instinct and that's a very hard thing to battle when you have a bunch of medical professionals saying no it's not that you know right. um i would say nikki's probably have a way to go as far as improving um listening to parents and and actually doing that because there's not there probably wasn't a whole lot of harm um in taking her off the fortifier for a few days and see what happens just to see yeah. right just to see what happened right and um and i also learned that it was important to pick my battles mm. um to know that um i had my daughter in the best possible care mm. you know the nurses and the doctors that were taking care of her were doing it at the highest level of skill that they had because they're passionate about what they do. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important also to have that mutual respect. You know, I think by the time I felt confident really bringing those things up with my doctors and nurses, I think my doctors and nurses also respected um, that I respected them. Uh -huh. You know, I think they were able to kind of listen to me more because I wasn't mean or rude or demanding. Right. I just, um, you know, occasionally would be like, I, I'd like to talk about what the plan looks like. Mm -hmm. Here's my thoughts. Can mm -hmm. you give me some feedback? So I think that that's hard. I think, um, it's a hard place to, it's a hard thing to try and explain, especially myself being the nurse to try to not sound like a jerk, right. but explaining like if, if you're as, if you as the parents are nice to us as the nurses, it really will work to your advantage. You know, it's, I mean, it's just kind of common sense that it works if you're, you know, have to go to the DMV and, and you have to get something accomplished. Like, it's not just the situation, but it's so true that families who have a way of handling it by, by with some respect and with some, um, just remembering that these people are human, that the nurses and the doctors, they are human. They A, they make mistakes. B, they have their own unique personality. And trying to work with it and together instead of in an adversarial type role, it makes a huge difference in how the parents experience the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's a big, it's a big thing. Like when you were talking about NICUs have a little way to go. Um, one of the NICUs had like a, a family manager, like a kind of a family coordinator. Uh-huh. Um, 
And I thought that was lovely, and yeah. I think it's really wonderful to take parents, long, especially long-term parents. You know, I know some some people are just in and out that same day right. or whatever, yeah. but um, I think taking them through the process so that it, they be, feel like they're part of the team that's taking care of their baby, I think that makes a huge difference because you have to trust your doctors and nurses to leave your baby there with them every night. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had to go home. I had to leave her behind with a bunch of people that I didn't know. So if I didn't trust them... Right. You know, that made it harder. So yep. um, learning to trust them is a big a big thing for me. And I think it kind of, now I'm all like, it takes a village. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that sounds, I think a lot of people would describe that moment of having to walk out of the hospital and leave your baby behind as one of the hardest they have to endure. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one of my probably most traumatic memories from that whole experience. Yeah. Having to do that over and over again. You could, We couldn't stay at our NICU. They yeah. didn't have parents' rooms. Um, yeah, I remember in the beginning of the book when you were describing Scarlett uh, probably needing blood transfusions. And as soon as you heard that, um, you would have been willing to cut open your own veins and give her all of your blood. You know, I think, uh, and you did it throughout the book, which was really so lovely, was to to find a way to put to words that intensity of what it means to be a mother and how you would give anything to not have your baby suffering and um, and that struggle with how do you you know, bring those two together. You you desperately want her not to suffer and to be separated from her, and yet she is suffering and separated from you, and you just sort of have to endure that. Right. It's, um, I think, I guess it taught me a lot about the resilience of the human spirit. You know, I think um, a lot of our fear comes from thinking that we, we can't do things that hard. Mm -hmm. uh, but especially when it's your children, and you, you get in there and you just do it, you know, you, you don't know where it's going to come from, but it just, um, there, there's not really an option, right. <laughs> you know, yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that used to really get to me was when people would say, well, I could just never do that when yeah. I was in the NICU, and I'd be like, well, I don't really have a choice, <laughs> Yes. you know, <laughs> um, but I was really astounded at, um, at how much strength I had to draw from that I didn't know was there. Mm, mm -hmm. um, and how much that has changed my life going forward and, and made me more aware that, yes, the situation is hard, but I can get through this. And um, there's there's a Bible verse that I've always um, kind of wondered about my whole life. It's, it's one that talks about how, you know, in our weakness, God is strong. And for me, I was always like, okay. But... Um, when that happened, I kind of realized, like, okay, here I am at my very most vulnerable, at my very weakest point, and there's just this undeniable strength that's here that's carrying us through the situation, um, and and I was really grateful for that. Yeah, you're comforted by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, that was one of the things that was that you also kind of tied in beautifully through the story was um, not only just the the experience, sort of like here's what happened and here's what happened next, but but how it, it impacted you personally, how you grew, and how it affected your faith, you know, how it was kind of, that was shaken, and, and it was a trial for you, and um, how, how would you feel, how would you say, like, you know, now, six years, or five years out from that experience, like, how has that impacted you? You know, it's made, it's made a really huge difference in my life, and um, one of the reasons I wanted to tell the story was because I think sometimes, especially in, in cultures of faith, 
um, there's sort of this pressure when bad things happen to be like, but we're okay because God's got this and we're trusting in God. And, um, and I kind of wanted to authentically say, I didn't feel that way at all. Right. I felt very much like what happened? I've, I've always been such a person of faith and like this horrible thing has happened. And now I'm questioning why because my my kid is suffering you know Mm -hmm. um and so I wanted to be honest about that process and what that journey looked like and um I think for me it 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 reshaped a lot of my faith I think a lot of the religious things that I had sort of built up around it fell away and it became something um a little different to me that was Mm -hmm. a lot more personal and um stronger Mm -hmm. even though I didn't I didn't expect that to happen yeah and then um, as far as what it is now, <laughs> it's really funny um, because, you know, you and I were talking earlier, so I'm, I'm 10 weeks pregnant, and yes, this is a very... Thank you. <laughs> this is a very surprise pregnancy. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, after our situation with Scarlett, had decided we weren't having any more children. Uh, we really didn't want to do that whole yes, thing again uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, with the preemies and all that, so I, now I'm, um, I have found myself surprisingly in the middle of a high-risk pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very scared. I bet. You know, I I'm bet. very scared of having another <laughs> another micro-preemie. Sure. Um, but I, this time around, I also have this level of peace that I didn't have with my last pregnancy mm. where I just know that I've, I've, I've been there mm-hmm. um, and I've gone through what I've always thought would be the worst and um, I came out on the other side of that. Right. Um, and I, I won't have to do it by myself, you know. I've got my faith, and I'm just, um, I think this time I'm just praying that I will remember what I learned, mm. that it's okay to be afraid. Right. I, I think it's fine that I'm scared. I think it's normal that I'm scared, mm-hmm. um, but that I will, I will be able to remember um, what God has walked me through before. So. Yeah, that's, that's great. It, it reminded me a little bit. I'm not sure. Have you ever read um, Kate Hopper's Ready for Air? No, I have not. Well, I recommend it. No, you definitely want to read this one. It's a good one. It's um, she, uh, like you, is also a a really good writer uh, who went through this experience and then wrote about it. Um, And if you'll indulge me for a second, I, I, you know, reading your book and and I would say, you know, comparing the two side by side, they're they're very different uh, and very similar. I think what. she starts out by explaining that she had also been wishing there was something she could read to feel comforted and she wished that she had a friend that she could talk to about what was it like for her to go through this and that's why she wanted to write the book so you got a sense from both of you this really like strong like I wish someone had done this for me I want to do it for someone else um but I would say the, the faith component wasn't as much present in her book until the very end. And she had a quote that I, I found so interesting. And I thought if you had read it, it'd be interesting to talk about it. Or um, it would, and if not, I'll, I'll read it to you and just and yeah. hear your response. Um, this is at the very, very end, like page 282, um, kind of in her summary, I guess. And um, here's what she said. She said, I know another preemie mom whose son was born at 32 weeks. He developed sepsis like Stella. Her, her daughter's name is Stella. Um, he developed sepsis like Stella, but then he developed necrotizing enterocolitis and had to have a portion of his intestines removed. After his surgery, he seemed fine, and his mother thought their prayers had been answered. But when she took her son home, he died suddenly from complications of the surgery. 
The woman told me that she often used to say things like, we've been blessed, in quote. Uh, but after my son died, I realized how awful it sounded, she said. When you say I've been blessed, it implies that God chose you and blessed you. But what about the other people? What if you lose your child? What if you prayed and prayed and God decides against you? Does that mean you didn't pray hard enough or that he decided to bless a different baby just for kicks? Um, no, there's no God meddling in our lives, not like that. And I refuse to use that term ever again. And I thought, you know, it, that must be the kind of thing that runs through every preemie parent's mind, especially anyone of faith. This, how do you juggle wanting the best for your own child, um, recognizing, just looking around you to see that that doesn't happen for every family, and how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I'll have to say I agree with what she's saying. Um, I think I, the NICU changed my language a lot. Mm. Um, I feel as though... Um, sometimes I, I, I maybe get a little soapboxy because people will look at Scarlett and they'll say, like, like look at what prayer can do. Mm. And, um, and I feel like, oh, but I, I sat next to another mom mm -hmm. and held her hand while her baby took its last breath mm. in our room. And she, she, I'm sure she prayed just as hard, if not harder, mm -hmm. than I did, mm -hmm. you know, because she was even closer than right. I was. Yeah. And, um... And, and I feel like sometimes the the way our culture th throws those things around, you know, is is like, oh, we're so blessed, or oh, pray for this, you know, and um, and I believe that prayer is a beautiful communication and communion with mm -hmm. God, mm -hmm. um, very much so. But I can completely understand how that would feel so cutting to say that to someone mm. and have them feel like God didn't choose um, their child. So for me, I think that even though it's hard, I can't really reconcile it. It's very hard for mm -hmm. me um, to have seen the suffering that I've seen and to not understand it. Mm -hmm. um, and I talk a little bit in the book about the fact that I still don't understand it. Right. I don't. I don't have answers for that, and I. Um, I wish that I. I did. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, for me, it was about the comfort that faith brought me. Mm -hmm. um, it was about the fact that. When I knew other people were praying for us, I felt less alone. Mm. And I didn't know whether or not that meant that was going to save my daughter's life. Mm -hmm. But I felt um, I felt comforted mm -hmm. knowing that other people cared enough about her right. to say a prayer for her. Well, it's profoundly uh, different when, it, when it's your own child. I mean, there's something about wanting good things for others. And, mm -hmm. and you know, it's like maybe maybe... At any other time, you might, you know, hope for goodwill for a much larger circle of people, a much larger, you know, the whole world, the other people suffering around the world. When it's your child, it's like everything else uh, sort of becomes outside of your focus. And it's like that's, you know, do, do anything. You would bargain almost anything. And it was one of the things um, when we were in the big open bay NICU, mm -hmm. um, sometimes, you know, the alarms would ring out and they would, they would evacuate us all. All of us would get out right. so they could run to work on a baby. Mm -hmm. And you have this moment as a parent where you're thinking, please, God, not my baby. Right. Please, God, don't let it be my baby. Especially if you're coming back from lunch or something sure. and you don't know which baby it is. Yep. And it was horrifying for me because in the same vein that I'm thinking that, that means that it's somebody else's right, baby. Right. And I had an awful time reconciling mm -hmm. that. Um, and it's something you can't control because right. you're a parent and you just yep. love your child that much. Yep. But um, it made my time there very, very difficult yeah. because 
you don't want that for anybody else either. Exactly. I mean, I get that just at, when I'm at work at the hospital and on the overhead paging, they'll call a trauma, you know, trauma to the ER. And every time it doesn't matter. My kids are 10 and 12. I'm still like, oh, I hope that's not my, you know, I hope they didn't get into an act, whatever. I mean, you just, it's, it's very visceral and, and even more so when you're in the middle of what you guys were going through, because it very, it much more likely could be your child. You know, it's like, it's very unlikely that my child got into a car accident and happens to be coming to our ER, but you know, you, you were very close. I mean, it was, it was probably just right there under the surface all the time this worry that this could be your daughter but it, it makes you I think a more compassionate person mm. um, to other people you know I had a phone call with a friend this morning whose whose child's going through some medical stuff that they were anticipating she's really scared mm-hmm. you know and she's like I'm just having this fear about losing you know my only child I'm like that's just that's so normal right you know and yeah. I'm thinking of you and um, and I just feel you know I just have this newfound I think um, compassion for what she's going through mm. having having walked there before so um, I, yeah. I think that's one of the things with telling the story is um, linking it with other people mm. and you know I think it it helps sort of help us remember like we're all you know we, we all have these feelings for our own family right you know yeah so. how is, how's the book doing um, I guess pretty well. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they don't really tell you for a while. Oh, like yeah. in the publishing world, it's um, it's you wait like three or four months to get your statement. So oh, I don't okay. actually know anything about like how the numbers are doing. Yeah. But um, but as far as my inbox, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm really very very thrilled with the response to the book. Nice. Um, I feel really really honored every time I open an email from another NICU mom mm. or another mom whose kids in the hospital right now and. Mm-hmm. Um, that has positive things to say, just like this was encouraging to me or this was hopeful to me. Um, yeah. I just felt like if it just helps one other mom, you know, I'll right. feel like, yes. It would have been so worth it, yeah. I've been, I've been very overwhelmed with the response. I'm, nice. I feel very, very honored that people have shared it cool. with their friends. Do and, you think that, um, is there a time, like have you had any feedback from anyone as far as when is a good time to read the book? Like I, some people say they wouldn't want to read something like this when they're in the middle of the NICU still yeah. right now because it might be uh, overwhelming or they just can't really handle it. But then others say, like you said, I wish I had something like this while I was still in the middle of that, that experience. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a pretty personal thing because I've gotten feedback from both sides. Mm, like people okay. said we're in there, but I'm waiting till I'm done, and people who said I'm in here right now and I just finished it, and this was so helpful. Mm, yeah. um, for me, I'm a person that likes a lot of information, yeah. so I was trying to read everything because I wanted, you know, like reading about somebody else having moments of apnea. I was like, okay, now I know somebody else, uh, you know, has right, done somebody that. Somebody else got through this. Um, I would say maybe not read. Don't read it when you're like 20 to 25 weeks pregnant. <laughs> right. But yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> once you're past that part, maybe it's fine. Um, one of my best friends, uh, we met through our our micro preemie support group, and mm-hmm. she was pregnant with her second when the book came out. And she says, "My husband says I'm not allowed to read this until <laughs> after I hit 25 weeks." I'm like, I agree with Carl. <laughs> so I would say maybe even give it to like 32, 35 yeah. weeks. Then, then you get it passed till we hit the third trimester. That's right. Yes. Exactly. So. Um, well, I, I really appreciate that you've taken the time. I think just before we wrap up, um, one of the things, at least from your perspective, that I'd love to hear is if you could think of your top three, your top five things that you would think would help new NICU parents and what 
things do you think would help NICU nurses uh, to understand based on what you experienced? Yeah. Um, no, I think for NICU nurses, um, I what ha- what happens or what I think I saw happen was that um, you have a different nurse every time you right. come in sometimes. And so people would assume that, that they someone else had given us information. Right. Like, um, I didn't know that I could change her diaper or take her temperature, you mm-hmm. know, or anything like that. So it was like maybe a week before the first time I changed her diaper just because I didn't, I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to seem pushy. And I right. just assumed somebody would have told me if I was allowed to. Um, and it just turned out that someone that figured someone else had told me, right. um, which is one of the reasons I love the idea of having kind of a point person mm. coming in and just telling families like, here's what you're allowed to do. Here's kind of when, here's when bath time is, if you want to watch the bath or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, you just don't know that. Um, so I think that was my biggest, my biggest thing. Just yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect and there wasn't any one person to tell me that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, and I think just offering the care times, you know, you have the times where you can talk, talk and offer care times. And the first few times I just sat there and watched a nurse do it because I didn't know I could do a, a touch mm-hmm. time or a care time. Mm-hmm. Um, so just remembering, I think that it, that families have no idea. They're just coming into this whole new place and they, you know, it come, becomes routine, I guess, when it's your job. Right. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately it does. And, and it's true yeah. that that communication between shifts, uh, I think it happens everywhere. Uh, yeah. It'd be it'd be lovely to figure out. I mean, it sounds like that's a great idea having one one person. Uh, uh, you know, the reality of of who would pay for it is a whole different story. Right. But but the idea, if if you could, in an ideal world, having one person who could greet every new parent, but who also was maybe a nurse or or really knew all the details of what uh, twenty four hours in the NICU is like. You know, so they could talk about when are baths, how do you touch, what can you do, what you know, what will that progress, how will that change over time, you know. That would be really, really nice. Right. Some sort of app on your phone. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> like a, like a, a little spreadsheet. Yeah. Well, like, the thing I is, it has like to be each knowing. hospital, right? Because each hospital yeah. is different. So an app it could be completely giving misleading information because yeah. at one hospital, they don't let them touch them ever, and another, they do. And So it, it really needs to be someone right there who understands your place. Yeah. So, um, and that was it. I, I had a great experience with our nurses. We're still in... in you know, contact with all our nurses. Nice. So, um, and then for for parents, um, I think my my big thing that I always tell people is to ask questions. Mm-hmm. To never be afraid to at least ask the question. You know, um, and then I always tell people like you're you're mostly I talk to women, so I'm normally mm-hmm. saying right. like yeah. you're the mom, and that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, especially. Like I said, with that whole that whole feeling of like I don't know what I'm doing, right? You know, I'm just reinforcing to them like no one loves your baby like you do. Mm-hmm. Your, your role here is really important, and you matter, mm-hmm. and your feelings matter. Um, and then that's another thing I tell the women is like it's okay to feel however you feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some women don't feel bonded to their babies right away when they're born that early and yeah. they're separated from them, and that's okay too. Um, so. That's another big thing is to just validate their feelings and to let them know that this is a really traumatic thing that has happened. And however you need to process it, 
you do that. <laughs> um, nice. You know, I broke some stuff, you know, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm a pretty timid person. But, um, and that vase, it, that vase yeah. got shattered, right? It did. I threw that vase real hard. My husband was like, well, okay, do, wow. you, want, do you want to talk it out? But, um, you know, it just, it's, it's a very, I mean, I wouldn't throw your vase at somebody. <laughs> Don't okay, good, hurt good, other people. Good, but, good tip. You know, just your personal processing is important. Yeah. Um, and then self-care. That's a big thing. Mm. I was very afraid to leave the hospital. Yeah. And um, so I did not take very good care of myself. Mm. And mm -hmm. I think it was my daughter's nurses that stepped in and they were like, it's important for you to be a good mom to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And when your kid is suffering, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like nothing else matters. You don't right. matter. Yeah. Um, but you can't make good decisions for your child if you're not sleeping and eating. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the vase episode and, and talking about how everyone processes it differently. One thing that becomes clear in the book is you uh, have a sense of humor. <laughs> that probably carried you well. Like, did, did, is that something that we're seeing that came after because you were writing and you could you could laugh about it, or, or did that sense of humor? Were you able to sort of lean on that even during the hard times? Yeah, I think um, it's always been a very big part of my personality. You know, like I did improv theater in college. Nice. I love I love comedy. It's a big part of my life, and um, and actually, um, I talked to someone about this recently. Like. I remember the very first time that I laughed after having Scarlett, really? and it was this moment that was just, they brought me, um, they brought the breast pads to like stem the flow of milk, and uh -huh. they brought them to me in a hazmat bag, <laughs> and like I just remember thinking it was so absurdly hilarious that like <laughs> I had done everything by the book to have this perfect pregnancy, and like here I was. No, my babies come anyways, and then they were just giving me these sensitive things for my skin in a hazmat bag, and I laughed so hard, and it felt, I had this moment where it felt so comforting to laugh, like I have not completely lost myself. Mm. This is going to help me get through. I, I'm, I'm not completely lost to my grief. Yeah. So I can laugh about it a lot more now than I could in the middle of I it. I bet, yes, I'm sure. But yeah, I can I can see how nurses have have a good sense of humor too. I enjoyed a lot of laughs with my nurses. Oh, good. Well, I think yeah. that that's one of the things that's remarkable about your book is that you know, lots of reviewers have pointed this out that within the span of just a page, you'll go from laughing out loud to crying. You know, you you're able to, um, and I think that's what makes it a sort of a safe book for families to read, even while they're in the NICU, because even as heavy as your story got, and it got heavy. I mean, you guys went through like right up to the edge, kind of yeah. scary stuff. Um, you're able to find a way to re remember the positive and, and to laugh about it, to have a, a little bit of fun with it, which you can do from that distance. But I think it helps to remind people that there are still, life is still going on and there is still some positive and some maybe even some joy, you know, even in spite of all this. And, yeah. and it's a, it makes the book a fabulous read um, to be able to, to take that heavy subject and keep it so light and, and funny. And, um, and I think it would help families, too, to, to recognize that. Yeah, thank you. That really means a lot to me because writing, writing the book was very difficult, um, but cathartic yeah. to, to go. I really um, 
took a good chunk of time and um, kind of reimmersed myself in my journals and everything so that I was getting it all right. So it was really hard mm, to yeah, do. I bet. Um, but I, I didn't want it to be that hard for the reader. I wanted to be true and authentic to what happened in the story, but I wanted to, it to be a very enjoyable read. Mm. Um, and because I wanted, I wanted the theme of the book to mirror in the writing the fact that there is always something good mm -hmm. you know even in the very worst of times you can always I mean at one point I was just counting that she was having another heartbeat but that was good right. yeah you know wow. um, so I wanted the whole thing to kind of cohesively give off that theme of like we can always find hope mm. where we are well you did a great job of it because that comes through very, very clearly yeah well wonderful well thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and for sharing all your your insights and your ideas because I think it will really help. I think your book is the first place that people should start. They should head out and get a copy of it because it's a really, really great read. I um, When I picked it up, it had already been out for a little while and I was kicking myself for not having um, gotten it right when it first launched because it, it was a great read. Uh, and I've shared it with my coworkers and, and everyone really loves it. So um, thank you for your story and thanks for taking the time today to meet with me. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's always a huge blessing for me to be able to share the story nice. um, and pass it on. And thank you for what you do. It's like we're really, really grateful for nurses <laughs> in our lives now. So we're very appreciative for everyone who has followed that calling. Oh, it's a great job. But, All right, thank you so nice much. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, you Bye. as well. Take care.